This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show on a very cold and wet and rainy Monday. Maybe we can bring a little bit of warmth into your life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything that's on your heart that you need only to call. 210-340-9585. That's our main number. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hope you had a great weekend at church. Um, you know, everybody's busy with Christmas stuff, uh, but we had a lot of people here. It was really a good day. I got to tell you, Friday was a real treat for me. Friday night, as we mentioned when we went off the air last weekend, was our uh, children's Christmas play. And it was unbelievable. Had me in tears, tears laughing, uh, tears crying just because my heart was so melted by the kids. But what a wonderful job they did. Uh, And if you really want to spend maybe 90 minutes just to feel good about something, uh, you can log on to calvarysa.com and watch it on our live stream platform. And I promise you, you will be blessed. I got to tell you one thing that was so funny. At the beginning, we had our our twos and threes and pre-Ks on the stage, and they were doing uh, their part of the play. And um, we had some of the bigger kids, older kids, who were there were holding them up. Well, right in front of me where I was sitting, there was one little boy, and he he was just, it was like, you know, we started at 6.30. It was like at 6.40, he hit bedtime, and he was out. I mean, standing up, just falling down, sitting down, just going backwards and going forwards. And I was laughing so hard and everybody was watching him. And the poor kid that was in charge of helping him, um, he, 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 he's older, but he's small. And this kid gave him all he could handle, just falling one way or another. I've never seen anybody that out. His body actually folded. That's how out he was. And trying to keep him awake, it just it wasn't working at all. But those are the kind of things that happen in the kids' place. And it was really a blessing. It actually was a story that was written. Uh, one of the things that always amazed me, our scripts are original. Um, 
we write them. When I say we, I have nothing to do with it. But the people who are in charge of the plays write the scripts. But even all of the music is original. Um, I, I think we did one Christmas song at the end of it, uh, Joy to, not Joy to the World, but Come All You Faithful was in it. So, but, but other than that, all of the music was original, written by uh, our people here. And oh, what a blessing it was to watch that. God has blessed us with so many gifted and talented people. But it was the Christmas story from Simeon and Anna's perspective from Luke chapter 2. Uh, and I thought it was absolutely ingenious. It was really good. The kids uh, and the adults that were working with them have been working for months on this, and it was really a neat time. And I was thinking, I don't mean to be morbid here. I, I said this to Paula, and she just went, I can't believe you said that. But uh, I was just thinking, you know, a lot of those older kids, we've, we've watched them grow up. Um, many of them I held as infants. Um, I mean, right out of the womb infants, and then dedicated them and then watching them grow up to love Jesus. Such a blessing. But I was, I was a little sad because I was looking at the little tiny ones that were on the stage. And I was thinking probably I won't have the privilege at my age. I won't have the privilege of watching them grow up like I have all of these other kids. And while I know, I know that can sound a little bit morbid, it really isn't. Because I was really thanking the Lord for the privileged life that he's allowed me to live. Just unbelievable blessings in my life over and over and over again. So uh, watch it. You'll have, a, you'll have a great time and it'll fit right in with your Christmas-themed activities at home. Okay, let's go to some questions. Uh, while we wait any phone calls, I'd love you to call. You're more interesting than I am. Here's a question from Nora. She said, Pastor Ron, Oregon's governor just granted clemency to those on death row. How does that reconcile with the Bible and love? Two things, Nora. It doesn't reconcile with the Bible. Nothing Oregon does reconciles with the Bible. Oregon is one of those wacko, woke states. And uh, the, the farther out there they get, the happier they seem to be. And I'm just grateful that I don't live there. Um, but obviously, a position like that conflicts with with what the Bible teaches uh, from the very beginning. If a man takes a, uh, the life of another man, his life then will be required of him. And that's God's uh, purview. God established that, Nora. Uh, and, and, you know, the states like Oregon that are overrun by crime, um, the streets are absolutely out of control. And this idea that we, we don't have to worry about justice, we don't have to worry about uh, prosecuting uh, criminals, um, um, that's just consistent with who Oregon is, the whole Northwest uh, part of our country, the, 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 the left coast. I mean, so many of our cities have done that. You know, Nora, the bigger problem for me is the trend that, that we see. Um, our major cities are overrun with crime. It is dangerous to be on the streets of, of uh, our bigger cities and, and, and these woke cities. It's dangerous. And nobody seems to care. Nobody seems to care anymore about right and wrong. We're such ideologues that all we care about is that which is consistent with our philosophy. And uh, the result has been um, catastrophic, just catastrophic. So uh, I'm not surprised at all that Oregon would do this. 
Um, but that's the way it is. It isn't even consistent with the will of the people, even in Oregon. I think most people there favor uh, the death penalty uh, because it makes sense. If, you, if you're opposed to the death penalty, then you're actually opposing justice for the victims. And, and uh, that's just the sad condition of the world that we now live in. And we're paying the price for it. We are really paying the price for it. So, Nora, I hope that answers your question. Here's a question from Barry. Uh, do you think there's any chance of the authorities who demanded people get vaccinated will admit they were wrong as we see more, especially men, dying from heart-related causes? Barry, there is zero chance. Let me repeat that. Zero chance of anybody admitting that they were wrong with vaccinations. And you're right, the, the, the incidences of myocardia in men, especially men uh, between 40 years old and, and 60 in particular, are being affected. We've had uh, people dropping. The numbers are relatively insignificant compared to the total number of people that are vaccinated, but it is a significant number if you're one of those people or if you belong to their families. And it's happening over and over. The numbers of vaccine injuries that are being reported are staggering, and yet nothing is being done. Nobody has said, we're sorry for the scare that we caused. We're sorry for ruining people's lives. We're sorry for um, making people quit their jobs if they didn't want to get vaccinated. Um, nobody has said that, and nobody will say it, and there will be no investigation. Now, there are some people who are, who are crusading, who are trying to get some answers, but Barry, the reality is there is zero chance that anybody's going to admit they were wrong. Not only that, but I think we can see it happening now. Uh, they are actually advocating uh, more vaccinations and more booster shots all the time uh, because there's always that specter, that scary specter of more COVID out there. So uh, this doesn't really have anything to do with the Bible or Jesus, but uh, there's just no chance at all, Barry that they're going to admit that they were wrong and issue any kind of an apology. Our next question is from Samuel. This is an interesting question, Samuel. He says, uh, do you require your employees to give to your church? Um, Samuel, I hope our employees give, uh, but I don't know who gives what. So no, I don't require anybody to give, nor would I check on any of my employees to make sure they're giving. Uh, my staff um, uh, the, the employees at the school or Malta Medical, um, what they give is between them and the Lord. We're, we're told to give not under compulsion, um, not being made to feel guilty, but to give with a cheerful heart. And if suddenly I started looking at the amount of money that people who work here are giving, and by the way, the people that work here are giving a whole bunch of value to our church just in their time now, having said that, I'm sure they're giving as well. But no, I have no idea who is giving what. You know, Samuel, we've, uh, I've had a policy from the very beginning. Um, nobody tells me who gives what. Now, I go to the mailbox usually. And so if people send money in the mail, I will see it. But I, I honestly don't look at names. I'm only interested in amounts. Um, money has been extraordinarily tight. And so I'm always interested in the amounts. But don't look at the names. And um, 
God has made it really clear. He's the one who's carrying the burden here, and we're not to let our needs be known. And certainly for me to compel somebody to give just because they work here would be inconsistent with what the Lord's desire, what the Lord's will is for us. So, no, um, uh, we don't require them to give. Um, I trust they are because they love Jesus. That's all I can say. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Jessica asks, uh, she says, I think about my new name in heaven a lot. Why do we need new names? Um, Jessica, all I can all I can guess is we're not told why we need new names, but we'll have them. Um, heaven is a completely new order of things. That's why we can't imagine what heaven is going to be like because it's something that's beyond our ability even to consider. Um, so uh, I, I'm with you in that I've thought about my new name in heaven a lot, um, but I have no idea what it is. Here's what I know for sure. The minute we hear that new name uttered from the lips of Jesus, uh, we'll know that that's us that he's speaking to. And we'll be comforted by such love. Uh, we'll, we'll know, we'll embrace his love and his protection of us as we're in, as it's impossible to do in this world. But we need new names just because it's a whole new order of things. You know, it's interesting to me, uh, Jessica, that the um, uh, in heaven, you know, uh, God, on earth, rather, God changed some names of people. Um, Saul of Tarsus was changed to Paul. Um, Simon was changed to Peter. Um, in the Old Testament, people's names were changed at different times to indicate different missions. But in the in the Bible, names mean something. In the culture in which the Bible was written, names mean something. And, and uh, our name will mean something. We'll understand it then, even if we can't understand it now. Good question, Jessica. Let's go to Kenny on line one from San Antonio. Kenny, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Hi, Kenny. Uh, I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, there's a young man at, at work that, uh, you know, we're talking in the Word, and, and he was talk. Uh, you know where Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Uh-huh. And then it, it says also in Scripture where, um, you know, who's healed the sick, who's healed the blind? And my question is, um, Jesus is life, even in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are all one. Mm-hmm. Did Jesus didn't do anything without the Father, correct? And He said, yes, you're right. So, I mean, Jesus is divine. There's no way, um, you know, that, that uh, the young man that I'm talking to... Um, uh, you know, Jesus walked on the water. I mean, that's, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is if um, he didn't do anything in his life on this earth, well, you know, when he's continually, yes, I understand that he was in in a body, uh, you know, birth, birthed, and he experienced all of, you know, what we went through, but yet, in everything till his death on the cross, he communicated 
24-7-365 with the Father. Yeah, um, Kenny, I, I think I can help you a little bit. Um, Thank um, you. I, I know that um, uh, from the time of John's baptism, that's when the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. We're told in the Bible that he was given the Spirit without measure, and, and obviously that's because uh, he was without sin. I mean, he, he had no sin nature. So the things that prevent us from walking in the full measure of God's Spirit did not prevent him from walking in the full measure of God's Spirit. Now, from the time he was born until that time, um, we're not told whether or not he did anything independent. He, we knew he learned things and he grew. But from that time at his baptism, Kenny, from that moment, he said, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. Now, it's a, an amazing thing to consider because what that means is that from that moment of his baptism, he, he never had an independent thought. Uh, when he walked on the water out to, to, uh, uh, to meet his disciples in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, uh, the storm was there. Uh, he did it because his father told him to do it. Uh, when he cast the demons out of legion, uh, he did it because his father told him to do it. The messages, the, 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 the preaching that he did, all of it was at the direct, um, um, out of direct obedience to what his father wanted him to do. And it was as though the father was orchestrating uh, every move Jesus made, and it simply was Jesus submitting. Now, to understand this, we also have to go back to Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says that we're to have the same attitude or the same mindset as Jesus did. And Jesus' mindset there is described to us. He didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped or held on to. And it's a very vivid word picture in Greek, Kenny. It's like he had it in his hand and he's clutching it. But, but because his father asked him to, and because he loved you and because he loved me, he let equality with God going. Now, that doesn't mean uh, he stopped being God. He never stopped being God. He was always 100% God and 100% man. But, but he never used the divine person he was uh, as a means to help himself or to, to benefit himself. Uh, the miracles he did weren't done for him. Um, it was all done for his father. So, so Jesus was demonstrating a couple of things. First, he was demonstrating that nothing was more important to him than doing the will of his father. Uh, he loved his father. The second thing he was demonstrating, I think, as a, as a message to you, Kenny, and to me, is that he was demonstrating uh, how we're to walk. If Jesus himself, when he was on this earth, walked in 100% reliance on the leading of the Holy Spirit, then how much more should we? And Jesus, he resisted sin. He resisted temptation. He did it by relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's an example for all of us to follow. Because too often when we're being tempted, too often when we're in a difficult situation, we try to figure out a way to get out of it or get through it. And, and Jesus said, no, I trusted my Father completely. And Kenny, one more thought. If you read the Gospel of John, chapters 14 through 17, with that thought in mind, then it's the will of his Father in heaven who is directing those prayers. And he's praying for us in a lot of that, uh, that upper room discourse. 
And um, boy, we really get the heart of the Father. It's almost like we're eavesdropping in on a private conversation, especially when you get to chapter 17. It's almost like we're eavesdropping in on a private conversation between Jesus and the Father where our names are being mentioned. So Jesus walked this earth in 100% compliance, tempted in all ways as we are, but without sin. And his desire was to do only what his Father told him to do. Now, I'll say one other thing here because I know I said that would be the last thing. But if you go through Jesus' ministry in the Gospel accounts, um, you'll see, especially in John's Gospel, because he gives a different perspective than the Synoptic Gospels do, um, it was the Father who directed Jesus' steps into Samaria to meet the woman at the well because he cared for that one woman and because he knew there is an entire village of people. He didn't care about the prejudices of, of humans at all. He, he cared about the people. And Jesus was an instrument that was directed by, steered by his Father for all of these things. It's a wonderful thing to think about. And while I don't think we'll ever truly understand until we get to be with heaven, the depth of sacrifice Jesus made and the level of obedience that he demonstrated every single day, um, the idea there is that, boy, what an example for each and every one of us. Wonderful question, Kenny. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll free 877 630 KSLR. Here is a question from our email inbox, Anonymous. Hi, Pastor Ron. In Acts 8.36, in the King James Version, Philip states, after the Ethiopian asked him to be baptized, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. That is certainly King James, isn't it, Anonymous? This left out of the NIV and leaves the reader to believe they could be saved with water baptism only. Uh, seems to be an important difference to leave that statement out. What do you think the writers of the NIV cutting this out? Have a wonderful Christmas, and thank you for the clarification. I'll do that, Anonymous. Hey, two things. One, they didn't leave anything out. One of the things we have to understand is that the King James and the New King James Version is simply translating the manuscripts from a different set of manuscripts than the NIV or the NASB uh, or some of the other ones, uh, the, the, the uh, um, ESV. Um, they're, just, they're just translating different manuscripts. And so what you'll see in many cases is you'll go from uh, verse um, um, 34, and in this case, Acts 8, 34 to 30, um, or I'm sorry, 35 to 37, and, and 36 is, is not there, but it's because it wasn't in the manuscript. There's nobody saying, I'm going to leave this out at all. Um, and in fact, it will be noted at the bottom of your your Bible. If they wanted to leave it out, if it was a conspiracy, then they certainly wouldn't draw attention to it. But they will say some manuscripts say, and then they'll they'll put that verse in there. So nobody's trying to hide anything from you. It's just that they're faithfully. Both groups are faithfully translating a different set of transcripts. The King James, the New King James is translating the majority text or the Texas Receptus and the NIV, the 84, and some of the others are translating the Alexandrian manuscripts, which are older 
and some people, and I don't agree with this, uh, Anonymous, but, but s- some people uh, strongly believe that if a manuscript is older, it's more authoritative. And I simply don't agree with that, uh, but there are a lot of people that do. And so that's why it'll say some uh, better, or, or it'll say older or better transcripts or manuscripts leave out or don't have this verse, but then that will include it. So there's nothing that's left out. It's just different manuscripts. And both sets uh, or the translations are faithful uh, to translate accurately the manuscripts that they have. Um, One other thing that I I don't quite get, you said being left out of the NIV leaves the reader to believe that they can be saved with water baptism only. Um, um, I don't think it does that at all. The the Bible as a whole is very clear, especially I, I teach out of the 1984 NIV, and I actually believe it is the best transcripts or, or um, translation of of the New Testament. Good question, Anonymous. Thank you very, very much. And you too have a merry, merry Christmas. So we are... Okay. Uh, we got a caller on the, on the line. We'll wait for uh, the other side of the break because we're now inside one minute, 30 seconds or so. So caller, thank you for your patience and Keep holding on, and we will get to you right at the top of the break. You've been listening to the first half hour of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and I'll take one more opportunity to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Make it a Jesus Christmas. 340-9585. This is The Word to Stand On for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our monday show 340-9585 we got a couple calls on the line so let's go to our first one it's sally from san antonio sally thank you for your patience you are on the air Pastor Ron, I wanted to ask a question, but then I'd hang up and listen to your answer. Okay. I have a friend that asked me um, what Bible she should read because she's had a hard time understanding the Bible. And I did not know what to tell her, and I thought of you, that maybe you could give some insight on, um, she's an adult, on which Bible she should start with. Okay. And thank you for for this program. Thank you, Sally. God bless you. Um, yeah, you know, there's there's any number of good ones. Um, um, uh, this is the order I recommend them. Sally, the first is a 1984 NIV. Now it's a little bit hard to find, so you can tell your friend that if she if she's having a hard time finding one. Now it can't be a 2011. That's not a good translation. But a 1984, and if she uh, would like, um, all she has to do is stop by here, or you can stop by here uh, if you're in the area. And we'd be happy to give you one. Uh, we've got a, a, a woman in our church who makes it a mission. She's a good searcher of things. 
and she makes it her mission to find 84 NIVs. So we've got some to give. All you need to do is let her know. So the 1984 NIV, I also favor the New King James Version. Um, uh, but the New King James is good. The NLT, the New Living Translation, is 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 a very readable translation. So the most important thing is that she gets one that she will read, that she's comfortable with, and uh, make sure it's a translation. So in order, the 84 NIV, the New King James, and the New Living Translation. And Sally, we'd be happy to give uh, her a 1984 NIV if she wants to call us or make arrangements to stop by and get one. Thank you, Sally. God bless you. Let's go to Matthew from Cibolo on line two. Matthew, thank you for holding. You're on the air. Hey, Papa Ron. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Matthew. How about you? I'm doing well. I have two things. Um, so the last caller talked about God and uh, or Jesus speaking to his father. I um, So about six or seven months ago, I had a, uh, a pest control guy come in, and he was soliciting his uh, business and things like that. So I invited him in, I heard him out, and then we started talking about Jesus. And um, he was a, um, um, a Mormon. And so we got into the conversation, and he said the same thing. Well, Jesus was speaking to the Father, so that means he had to, you know, spoke to somebody else. And he started talking about modalism a lot. And so we kind of got to really, you know, doctrinal conversation. Of course, he didn't, you know, agree what I had to say. But I just wanted you to expound on more modalism. I know it's not the case, but... Uh, if you can speak and expand on that, and perhaps maybe that might give some clarity to that other gentleman that called in. And then the second thing, where actually a family member called me this morning, and uh, she was like, we're, we're watching the, the Chosen. And um, and so I had a discussion with her maybe about a year ago about um, she occasionally drinks. And I told her, I said, well, you know, it's not in the Bible not to drink. However, when you drink, and I gave her the whole spiel about you know, not being a stumbling block to people that you drink in front of that, you know, that are not that are unbelievers. It just sets a bad example for for believers. So I like for you if you can expound on that. I don't think I've ever heard you talk about that before personally, but um, I just want to hear your insight, Papa. I love your wisdom and your love, and uh, I thank you for everything y'all do. Thank you, thank you, Matthew. God bless you. A couple of things: uh, modalism. Um, simply is the, 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 the belief that the doctrine of the three persons of the Trinity represent only three modes or aspects of the divine revelation, not uh, distinct and coexisting persons uh, in the divine nature. Um, the idea there is that um, um, the idea that they coexist together, it, it, it's, it's obviously wrong. Um, uh, modalism is is heretical, um, but but you see if if you if you study who the person of the Father is, who the person of the Son is, and who the person of the Holy Spirit is, then what we have is um, 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 three separate and distinct personalities, but they're all together. They're one. So um, a lot of people get confused with with the Trinity, it, it just, just view one God in three persons. The Father sent the Son to reveal who he was. And then when the Son was getting ready to go to the Father, the Son sent the Holy Spirit to instruct them and lead them in the way of truth. 
So different ministries, all of them have different ministries. So I hope that helps, Matthew. Regarding drinking and, and stuff, and, uh, first of all, I always have to be careful because I don't want to go beyond what the Bible says. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul said that all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And certainly drinking is one of those things. And we don't want to do anything, especially around unbelievers and even more especially around family members who are unbelievers. We don't want to do anything that looks like the way they live their lives. So why would we, just because it's Christmas or just because we got people over, why would we do that which we don't do the rest of the time? It just, it never makes any sense to me. I really honestly can't understand um, why a Christian would ever take a drink. Now, I know people say, but but we can. Yeah, you can do a lot of things. But the, the, the rule of thumb, is this good for me? Does this enhance my witness? Is this something that draws me closer to the Lord? And the idea that we can let our guard down because we're with family, and it just makes no sense to me. And I, 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 I don't understand. So um, is drinking a sin? No. Um, drinking too much a sin? Yes. Um, but, but why would we want to get close to that line? Matthew, it never ceases to amaze me. Why in the world, um, instead of seeing how much we can get away with and still be okay with God, why we wouldn't instead just say, okay, Lord, I want to get so close to you that I don't even want to do anything that might threaten that. So I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We've got James from Belmont on line one. James, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Yeah, hi, <clears throat> Pastor Ron. Thanks for for, uh, for entertaining my question. I, in, in listening to what you were just talking about, one of the things that comes to my mind is Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us. Um, there's just some things that... Um, I'm, 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 you know, I'm always curious mm-hmm. and I, I look for answers, but if I don't find them, I, I find a lot of satisfaction and just, you know, understanding that, uh, that those secret things just are of God. And, and one day God will, and he'll, <laughs> he'll, he'll answer that or I'll, I'll yeah. already know just because I'm in his presence. Yeah, you know, James, um, I, I know, I know, I I know you have a question, but let me say something about this because I think one of the the signs of maturing in our faith is being okay with and in fact reveling in the mysteries of God. I mean, yeah. think about that for a moment. God is so big. Uh, wh- why do we think we even have a right to know everything about Him? His ways are not our ways. We're all familiar with the verses. But then we want answers to all these things. And God says, hey, how about you just trust me and walk by faith? And I think the idea that we can get to a place where we're comfortable with the mysteries of God, I think that demonstrates that we're really growing in our faith, James. And and uh, I think that's a real mature approach. So what's your question, James? <clears throat> well, um, I was I was thinking about Paul. And in Galatians 2, you remember where um, Paul had to actually uh, correct Peter. Um, you know, apparently he'd been eating with the Gentiles and and wasn't being held to the specific, you know, little things about the law that apparently Peter 
had clung to. Uh, I remember whenever he had his dream just before supper time, uh, when the sheet came down, he says, oh, Lord, you know I don't touch those things. I mean, those are forbidden. That's unclean. I, I don't do that. And then um, when it came to him to where he realized um, that 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 part wasn't as important, then uh, he found himself uh, in, in Galatians, you know, eating with Gentiles. And, and I always kind of figured he was having pork chops or bacon. I'm not really <laughs> sure. I mean, any, anybody, uh, for me, it's bacon, you know. You and, me, you and me both, James. Use it as a seasoning. So uh, anyway, uh, when the Jews got their Jewish friends, then he kind of, oh, wait a minute, you know, and shunned that table and then went over and behaved more traditional with his Jewish friends. So then I go from there to Acts, I want to say it's uh, twenty, chapter 21. You know, when Paul uh, arrived to Jerusalem, I think for the last time, and um, essentially it, it sounds like uh, Jewish believers had confronted him about, oh, you know, the people here in the assembly, um, they think that you're, you know, um, turned your back on us, that that you're, you're, you're preaching uh, Judaism is incomplete or it's wrong or it needs to be amplified or, but there was an issue. And so, um, and some of this, I'm sorry, it's off the top of my head because okay. um, my Bible's in the back seat. Um, and uh, Paul was essentially talked into going through a ritual um, um, and in that ritual he was trying to show that he has not turned his back on many of these laws that as a as a Jewish believer he still wasn't turning his back on these laws and so he went in with a couple of other folks anyway and this all led up to his being arrested yep um, I know that when I am with Gentiles, um, uh, I make myself presentable to the Gentiles. When I'm with Jews, then I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a Jew. When I'm with the poor, then I'm poor. When I'm with the rich, you know, he, he met people where they were. Knowing all of this, it still just totally confuses me. It seems like his actions were not living out his words and if you could just give me a little bit of what your thoughts are and your insight on that yeah i can do that james thank you very very much god bless you my friend a couple of things you know i'll let me add one more you know he had he, he had timothy circumcised didn't have titus circumcised but he had timothy circumcised and people will say well see that's just inconsistent but it wasn't inconsistent at all and and and, and james the reason it's not inconsistent because motive is everything now, clearly, when um, he came in and, and the, the rumors had been spreading about Paul um, all along, he teaches against the law. He teaches that we don't have to be circumcised, um, you know, all those things. And, and their motive coming to him was trying to smooth things over. Come on, show these people that you, you're still a Jew and, and you're still upholding the law. But Paul's motive, and, and this is the only thing that matters, Paul's motive, he says, uh, to the Jews, I became a Jew to win some Jews. And that's what he did. He, he, he became 
who he needed to be to win them. So his only motive was to win him, to, to win uh, Jewish converts. And, and Paul followed Jesus' model, and he would always go into a town and preach to Jews first. And then when they rejected him, he'd go to Gentiles. But his motive wasn't to compromise. His motive was simply, I'm going to win. And frankly, Paul wouldn't have cared if somebody was questioning his motives. You know, uh, 2,000 years later, we're, we're, we're sitting here and we're, we're saying, well, why did you make uh, Timothy get circumcised? And he made Timothy get circumcised because Timothy was half Jew and he was going to follow in Paul's footsteps and he would have a fruitful ministry among Jewish people who would convert to Christianity. And he's just basically saying, Timothy, I'm expanding your audience. I'm expanding your ministry opportunities. And that's all it was. Um, um, James for for Paul. Now the, the 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 purification rites that he he was asked to pay for two young men, uh, and he joined in. It wasn't that he was doing it because he needed to be justified, and he certainly wasn't saying, "Okay, you guys are right and I'm wrong." When in Rome, do as the Romans do. He wasn't saying that at all. He was just trying to use that as an opportunity. Um, for for further ministry among the Jews. Now, we also know it didn't work. The Jewish troublemakers were always following him, but um, um, it didn't work. So it, it wasn't a compromise. It wasn't inconsistency on his part. Uh, Paul was giving up his rights for other people. And when we talk about Romans, uh, his letter to the Romans uh, he, Paul concludes that there's no better use of our rights than to surrender them for the benefit of others. And that's exactly what he was doing. Good thoughts. Good thoughts. Let me recommend a book, James, if I haven't done this for you before. There is a great, 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 great book um, called uh, The Heart of the Apostle Set Free by F.F. F. Bruce. And it is, uh, the, I think, the single best treatment of Paul his life, his background, and his ministry uh, that's ever been written. And F.F. F. Bruce is my all-time, all-time favorite commentator. So, hope that helps. The Heart of the Apostle Set Free. Here's a question from our friend Greg in Bulverde. He wanted to know why some people in Scripture were given different names by God and others were not. Well, um, the ones who were given different names had an integral part in, in God's plan, um, um, Paul, Saul, uh, he was changed to Paul, which means little. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, thought he was uh, pretty important. Uh, Paul, having met Christ, understood how little he was. Um, um, Simon uh, means shifting sand, and Peter was given to him the name. It means rock, not, not the big rock that is wrongly considered, but but just a rock. I'm going to give you some stability, Peter. Um, I've been studying in Second Kings um, on Wednesday nights. Um, Azariah um, is better known as Uzziah when he was 16 years old, 16 years old and became a king. Um, he changed his name to Uzziah, and of course he was one of Israel's all-time great kings. So uh, just different things. Um, uh, Jacob is sometimes called Jacob. And other times called Israel. Israel means governed by God, and certainly that's the goal. So the the ones whose names were changed and were given information about are those that are integral to the story, and and uh, a lot of the other people are just sort of 
uh, bystanders in the story, and we get reports about them and get some information about them, um, but but they weren't directly um, affected by God in the sense that uh, God gave them a new direction. Uh, you know, I had a question earlier, Greg, about new names, and I think uh, the, the, the idea of a new name is important. You know, when we get saved, the old is gone, the new has come, and I think a lot of us would do well to think of ourselves. We don't have to go all the way and and, and uh, get weird about uh, what my name changed. Uh, but, but the idea is I'm not the person I used to be. Um, Paula and I will talk about the old Ron and the new Ron or the old Paula and the new Paula. Um, we, we do that because there is a, a marked difference in our lives and in who we are. And um, I think if there's a, a book in heaven, I know there's a book about my life in heaven. Um, maybe there's a page where... Um, God writes my new name on that page and a whole new chapter begins. Good question, Greg. Thanks very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Lynette. Um, she says, if Daniel 12.7 is the second coming instead of the rapture, why would God remove the Holy Spirit from the earth at the beginning of the millennium? Now, Lynette, a couple things. Again, where your, your questions are getting... Uh, a little bit on the strange side. Daniel 12.7 doesn't say anything about that. Um, Daniel 12.7 says, The man clothed in linen, who is above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. Um, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying it will be for a time, times and half a time, when the power of the Holy Spirit has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. Now, there's nothing about the rapture there at all. Nothing whatsoever about that, um, Lynette. And so you just understand. Lynette, let me give you, ask you to do this. Go to Calvary Essay and uh, go to uh, our, the studies I did on Daniel chapter, or just the whole book of Daniel. Uh, and my notes are there. And you can get pretty instant answers to the questions that you have. But Daniel knew nothing about the rapture. Uh, the rapture, God doesn't remove the Holy Spirit. It's just that the Holy Spirit, this is from um, Thessalonians, uh, the Holy Spirit in the church is taken out of the earth. Uh, but the Holy Spirit still the way people get saved and the way people will get saved during the Great Tribulation. Um, but um, uh, don't confuse. Daniel knew nothing about the rapture of the church. He knew nothing at all about the church. So very, very important. And if you, if you sort of define terms, and Lynette, my, my whole commentary is written in Daniel, and uh, as are the audio studies on it, and it's one of my favorite books to teach in, in our Bibles. So um, maybe that can help you a little bit. Here is a question from Anonymous. It says, Peter and Judas... Both repented for their betrayals. Why wasn't Judas forgiven, but Peter was? Well, um, repented is a word for he was sorry when it, when it comes to, to Judas. Judas wasn't repenting in the sense that, oh, I'm wrong. What I did was terrible. I'm so sorry, God, please forgive me. Judas was sorry that things didn't turn out the way he wanted them to turn out. Uh, Judas was inhabited by the devil when he was turning his back on Jesus uh, and certainly a believer couldn't be demon-possessed 
Peter, on the other hand, his repentance was genuine and contrite. Uh, his heart was broken. Um, Judas was just sorry. It's sort of like us, Anonymous, when we do something and we're sorry we got caught, but we're not sorry for what we did. That's what Judas was experiencing. And uh, we know that he was the son of perdition from the foundation of the world. And he was always doomed uh, to spend eternity in hell, not because God caused him to do it, but simply because God knew what he was going to do. So that's a good question. Here's we're running out of time here. Here's a question from Barbara. She says, some churches are closed Christmas and New Year's. Is that being faithful? Um, Barbara, I, I, I don't want to judge what somebody else is doing. I can't imagine closing on a Sunday. I can't imagine. And, you know, we only get, this is, I think, in 27 years, only our third Christmas that's ever fallen on a Sunday. And, of course, New Year's falls on a Sunday then as well. And I think it's a wonderful opportunity. I understand people that won't be in church on Christmas Day or New Year's Day. A um, lot of things going on, a lot of family things, a lot of traveling, uh, all kinds of things. Um, but, Barbara, we're going to be open on on Christmas Day. Uh, whether 10 people show up or, or 10,000 doesn't matter to us. Uh, well, it would matter if 10,000 showed up because we're in a little bit of trouble space-wise. But, but no, we're going to be open. Um, and we're, we're going we're gonna to cut down from three services to two because I just figure there will be less people. And uh, I'm going to cut the, the, the services a little bit shorter than normal just because I think it's important for families to be home in churches. But what a great way to start church. I would do it before I open gifts with my kids or anything else. Let's go to church and worship Jesus. Then we'll come home and have a great day at home, opening some gifts and praising the Lord together. Uh, the churches that are being closed, I, I, I personally am not going to do that, wouldn't consider doing it, um, but uh, I'm sure they have their reasons. Here is a question from Jonah. Why would Jesus tell people it was better for them to be cold than lukewarm? That makes no sense to me. Well, Jonah, you're referring to his letter to the church at Laodicea. And um, he basically says that you're lukewarm and you make me sick. That's really what he says. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Uh, this is a real church, by the way, that he's speaking to. And it represents a church that has been carrying on uh, throughout the church age. Because And it, it also represents the lives of believers. There's a lot of lukewarm believers. And Jesus is saying, basically, um, you're neither hot nor cold. I'd rather you be cold than lukewarm. And here's what he's saying, Jonah. He's saying, make a decision. Make a choice. Am I God? Am I, am I your Lord? Am I the one that you love? You call me Lord. You pray to me. You ask me for things. Or, or am I... Am I not? And and the lukewarm Christian is the most miserable of all people because that man or woman's trying to walk with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. It just doesn't work. So Jesus is simply saying, just make a choice. Be honest and make a decision. If you're lukewarm, just go. That's why he wants you to choose. Hey, we're out of time tonight. Our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies, the last one for the year. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 6.30 of the Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. 
The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. 